It's the Tuesday Tout Edition, and the doctor is in the house. We'll talk with Dr. HQ, BaseballHQ.com injuries analyst Rick Wilton, next on Baseball HQ Radio. Here's the pitch by Downing. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 7-15. There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host, from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, July the 1st. It's show number 47 of the 2014 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and we'll be talking with Dr. HQ, Rick Wilton, about baseball injuries and the players who have suffered them, and haven't there been a lot. We'll also have commentaries from the experts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In our Metric Minute, analyst Ryan Bloomfield talks about statistically scouted speed for offensive players. And in the Minor League Minute, BaseballHQ.com analyst Rob Gordon talks about Cubs catching prospect Kyle Schwarber. It's another big show. Thanks for joining us on the Tuesday Tout Edition of Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? Happy Canada Day. We gotta talk some baseball. Yes, it's Canada Day, July the 1st, the 147th anniversary of Confederation, if you're keeping score at home. Also a cause for celebration for the 13 players in Major League Baseball or on the DL who come from Canada, including John Axford and George Cateris of the Indians, Eric Bedard of the Rays, so you might know him as Bedard, Jim Aducci of the Rangers, Jesse Crane of the Astros, Jeff Francis of the A's got his first Major League save the other night, Jim Henderson of the Brewers, Brett Laurie of the Blue Jays, Russell Martin of the Pirates, Justin Morneau of the Rockies, and Joey Votto of the Reds, as well as James Paxton and Michael Saunders of the Seattle Mariners. So here's a quick quiz for you. Canadian players in baseball history have won a single Rookie of the Year award, three Most Valuable Players, and two Cy Youngs. And there's one Canadian ball player in the Hall of Fame. Can you name any of them? We'll have the answers later in the podcast, but right now it's a pleasure to welcome our own guest expert for this Tuesday Tout Edition, Dr. HQ, BaseballHQ.com, Injuries Analyst Rick Wilton. Rick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Hi, Patrick. Been a while. I hope you're doing well. Doing fine, thank you. I hope all's well with you also. I know uh, you're watching the World Cup with great interest, and you're in a World Cup fantasy league. That sounds interesting. Give us 20 seconds on how a World Cup fantasy league works. Yeah, I'm in one, uh, and, I, and it's great. You, just, you record goals and uh, assists and um, uh, tackles and things like that, plus the goalkeeper, if he gets a save, you get points for that. And each round you get a chance to re-draft um, your team, so that if you don't do well in one round, you can the next. And I'm in a league; it's a free league, but I'm having a lot of fun with it. And plus, enjoying the U.S. U.S.'s effort. And I, I really like soccer, so it's a great sport to watch. And no, I don't have any plans to start a uh, fantasy soccer injury uh, report. I think I'll stay away from it, as far as this sport's concerned. Well, you'd have to include bites. Yeah, bites, I know. And then you got to worry about blood tests and whether the guy got a tetanus shot and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's a little bit out of my reach, you know. So I think I'll, I think I'll just watch the game and play, play fantasy soccer for fun and, and avoid the rest of the stuff. Also, possibly you'd need some kind, of, some kind of category for dives, like pretending to be hurt and diving and writhing in pain when you haven't actually been hurt. Yeah, I think, I think if uh, Hollywood ever got short on actors, they could go to a soccer league. Some of these guys in the dives are just, they're outstanding for not getting hit. They do a great job. Yeah, they, they avoid the hits and uh, nonetheless uh, manage to writhe around like somebody has uh, poleaxed them. I I. I I can't imagine how long they'd last in a National Hockey League game. Oh, they'd be they'd be out in the first two minutes before the first ship was back off the ice. They'd be gone. It just would and gone for the game. It just would be unbelievable. Um, it, it, it could be it's a tough sport though because there's no padding there. But uh, uh, it's it's just, the amount of people that land on the ground is just uh, it's comical in a lot of ways. It's something I, I know uh, we're kind of wandering off the reservation here, but uh, I know FIFA is actually looking at it because uh, the uh, one of the big reasons that North Americans 
Canadians and Americans don't like watching soccer is because of all of this diving and faking and this play acting that goes on. It really is a turnoff, and if they want to make it a global game, they have to try to do something to eliminate it, and I, I hope they can figure it out because it is a fantastic game to watch, and then that kind of stuff gets in the way really badly. How are your fantasy baseball teams doing? Uh, the private league, I'm kind of stuck in the middle here. It's like I, I'm like the Red Sox. I've got great pitching, but I sure can't get enough hitting. Yeah, same same goes with my two teams. Yeah, uh, Rick, we've talked about Tommy John surgery before, but uh, could for people who haven't uh, been up to date on it, can you give us maybe thirty forty seconds on what happens in a Tommy John injury? Yeah, with a Tommy John injury, they go ahead and take out the ligament that was torn, and they take a tendon, usually from the wrist of the opposite throwing hand, and they take that tendon and they surgically insert it into the same area where the ligament was before. And then the, the player starts a roughly 12-month rehab program. And over time, and the miracle of, um, of modern medicine and the brilliance of the late Frank Job, what it does is it, it begins to morph into and then becomes very ligament-like, uh, almost like the, um, the ligament, the ulnar collateral ligament that was torn and had to be replaced. And it's fascinating. And what it does is then allows the pitcher to obviously, to, to continue to pitch and save his career. Um, the big change that I think we've seen in the last couple of years is obviously early this year we've seen a ton of uh, Tommy John injuries, and uh, it has slowed down, which is a good thing, obviously, uh, I'd say in the last four to six weeks. Uh, so we're not on such a record pace that it would really change the game, but it's still a concern. But the, I think the other thing, Patrick, is that it's uh, a study that was done by uh, some people associated with the Dodgers and others, that it looks like the um, the percentage is not nearly as good as it was, uh, let's say, five to ten years ago, where 90, 95% of the pitchers would come back and pitch fairly close or at the level they were at before. That's probably down 10 or, or so points. And we're also seeing an increase in the number of repeat Tommy John surgeries where the first one's not working uh, or the pitcher tears it somewhere down the road. Um, and that's now a concern because well, if you tear it twice, the odds of being able to come back to your former level of production or even close to it is is real small. So it's not a, a career ender yet, but it's something that needs to be addressed. And I, I think that Major League Baseball needs to do a huge study on this to find out why we have it. There's been a lot of discussion on various websites all over the Internet. I think there's a lot of viewpoints that hasn't been decided yet exactly what the uh, the causes are, and I'm sure it's not one cause, I think it's multiple causes, but uh, it is something that definitely needs to be solved, and they've got to find an answer to it, because uh, pitchers shouldn't be disposable, and there's not a uh, ending, an unending supply of pitchers coming out of the minor league system for just so many good pitchers, and we need to keep them healthy for the uh, the health of the game, for a lack of a better term. I know Dr. James Andrews wrote a, a white paper about the causes of Tommy John surgery. Of course, he's the premier Tommy John surgeon now out down there in Alabama. And uh, he wrote a, a paper on what he thought was some of the root causes of the issue. And he pointed the finger at youth baseball and specifically high pitch counts, especially for young kids who pitch uh, in different leagues. And so there might be an innings limit in each league, but you but the kid can get past the innings limit by pitching 100 pitches on Wednesday for high, his high school team and then another 100 pitches on Saturday for his uh, you know American Legion team or his traveling team or whatever. Yeah, that's a huge problem. I mean, I, I know some kids in, in my neighborhood uh, where I lived in Wisconsin. I've now moved out of state to a different area, but a um, uh, kid was really good. He was one of the best pitchers on his high school team. And he had a limit, but he also was on a traveling team that was a higher um, a higher level of performance and competition. And he he met his restrictions for both teams. But when you combine them together, one coach is not going to worry about the other coach. So he was just throwing too many innings, and he ended up having a sore elbow. And he knew that I knew a little bit about uh, baseball injuries. He didn't know exactly what I did. And they came over and talked to me, his mom and his dad did. And uh, the first thing they asked me, was, do you think we should have him get Tommy John surgery so he's stronger? And that's, that is the prevailing thought amongst a lot of parents that have kids that are yeah. really talented, and even not that talented baseball players. Is they think that Tommy John surgery will make them better 
than they were before, and that's not what Tommy John surgery is all about. What it's for is to repair damage, and you know, and a kid that's playing high school baseball shouldn't be tearing his ulnar collateral ligament. Also, uh, I've been reading about this in preparing for the call. I have a couple of uh, issues I'd like to raise, but another issue about youth baseball was that these kids are pitching 12 months a year. They don't ever give themselves any time off. And uh, Garrett Cole, who actually somewhat ironically after the fact ended up on the DL, he said, you know, in the major leagues we get four or five months off. Why wouldn't you do the same thing for a 12-year-old kid? And yet, in, especially in the U.S. South where you can play baseball year-round, they do. And this kid is pitching not only 100 or 200 pitches a week, he's doing it 52 weeks of a year. Yeah, so his body doesn't get a chance to, to rest, but more importantly, his elbow and his shoulder doesn't. Um, and, and I think that's huge, and I think as they continue to do more research on Tommy John surgery or i.e. torn all the collateral ligaments, um, I think they'll, uh, they will look at uh, that closer. You know, I think when we looked at the, you know, they just finished another draft of the Major League Draft, and there are some teams that are starting to draft players from the Northeast. I know the Red Sox like to look at players, and I believe Toronto feels the same way, where uh, the advantage of taking a pitcher who uh, is from the Northeast is that because of the weather situations, they can't pitch all year round unless they're on some sort of a, you know elite traveling squad. So they do get a chance to rest. So they, they feel like that there's not as many uh, miles on a pitcher's arm, and they draft him, and they have a better they appear to have a better track record than somebody who is, let's say, from Arizona, California, like you said, south of the Mason-Dixon line, where they get a chance to play baseball twelve months out of the year, and their body doesn't get a chance to. Uh, to rest, so maybe there's uh, something to be said for that. Also, I think that definitely needs to be factored into the entire equation to find out why players are uh, tearing ligaments in their elbow when uh, they should they shouldn't be happening. It's interesting you should mention Toronto Blue Jays. They drafted a kid, Jeff Hoffman, in the first round with their first pick overall, I think eighth or ninth in this year's draft, and he has had Tommy John surgery and won't be able to pitch next year. They're looking down the road, so they are at least somewhat confident in the ability of pitchers to rebound from Tommy John and get back to where they were, and uh, now you're saying that maybe they shouldn't be quite so sanguine. I guess their own medical staff... I might understand that not all Tommy John surgeries are identical, and if if you have a certain degree of tear or the placement of the tear or so on, that it may be different from one Tommy John case to another as to the survivability of the surgery for the pitcher. But it's interesting that uh, he wasn't the only guy that got drafted despite having Tommy John surgery. Yeah, you're correct, and I believe uh, the Miley guys probably could tell us, but I believe there were excuse me two guys this year that had... Um um, surgery and uh, it um, Tommy John surgery or due for it, and I think the the fact that the teams felt like that it was okay uh, to draft them without any concern uh, does speak well for at least the care they're getting, but also the evaluation they did of those players. But it's still it's still a huge issue. Yeah, I think the uh, Nationals drafted a kid from UNLV, uh, Eric Fetty, I think his name is, and he's uh, going to have to have Tommy John surgery as well. Uh, Before we leave the topic, I know I've been reading about it, as I said, to prepare to talk to you today, and uh, there's... There's been reports that you can you can sort of predict the probability of Tommy John surgery for pitchers based on how many sliders they throw, how fast they throw their fastball, how often they throw their curveball, how old they were when they started throwing curveballs and sliders, and so forth. But every time one of these papers comes out or one of these explanations comes out, it's like two days later, somebody else comes out and says, nah, that's all wrong. And it's starting to get like, you know, uh, the uh, the health food industry where they say, you know, don't eat butter. You got to eat butter. Don't eat margarine. And it just goes back and forth, and nobody ever seems to come up with a, a concrete answer to what's going on here. Yeah, I think it's going to take time, as it does with any medical issue, Patrick. I think that, uh, you know, we now have more metrics, uh, both numerical and uh, biomechanical and medical, that we can use to measure what's going on with a pitcher in his elbow and uh, the rest of his body that relates to his throwing motion that could contribute to the injury. And um, because of that, I think it's going to take a while to go through all that information. Uh, it's great that it's out there, but I think there is some confusion. And until it's, uh, I think, sorted through and we're able to come up with a, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, a protocol, uh, a general protocol that relates to Tommy John injuries, I think it's going to be a little while before we have that, we just have to continue to look at the information and 
and see if there's uh, some nuggets in there that will help us be better fantasy players to work our way through, you know, Tommy John injury. One thing I read, and I'll, I'd, I'd like your comment on it, was that uh, this particular analyst suggested that because pitchers for the last few years have been getting very good uh, training and very good advice about training to prevent labrum and uh, rotator cuff type injuries by strengthening the musculature in the shoulder, lifting small weights a lot of times, that kind of thing. There's a lot of pitchers who swear by this because it really builds up the muscul- musculature in your uh, in your shoulder to prevent those kind of injuries. But then he suggested, this analyst whose name escapes me, said that by strengthening one part of that system, you're adding strain to to parts down the line. Do you know what I mean? So instead of now you've got this very strong shoulder, but you're adding now you're adding stress to your elbow, which you can't really build up that much muscle tissue in the elbow area. So maybe that's one of the explanations for the increase in elbow injuries is that pitchers are doing such a good job making themselves stronger in the shoulder. I agree completely. Yeah, and I saw that article. And I too can't remember who it was because there's just so much Tommy John stuff out there right now. I think that. You know, it's a real simple thought, but I think sometimes we forget about that. Uh, pitchers can build up the strength of their muscles. Uh, it's not unlimited, but they, you know, it's a high. There's a high range that they can reach as far as strength is concerned. But when it comes to ligaments in the body that hold joints together and allow them to function, you can't make those ligaments any stronger than what they are uh, because of the type of tissue that they are, and uh, because of that. Uh, there is a point where they're just built to handle so much uh, stress from the muscles, and if the muscles are, are far superior in strength to what the body was designed for, eventually they're going to break down uh, and collapse because of that strength and all the strain that's been put on them. And, and, and I think that gets lost in a lot of uh, this, and it's a real simple premise that uh, I think we need to keep an eye on, is that there gets to a point where you can be too strong. And... Uh, that's that's part of the issue, I think, when you look at some of these studies, but it is part of the issue relating to uh, elbow injuries, but also I think it relates to shoulder injuries at some point also. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt, with Dr. HQ, Rick Wilton of BaseballHQ.com, the injuries expert. And Rick, I'd like to talk to you about another very common injury this year and in past years in baseball, and that's hamstring pulls and hamstring strains. Major League Baseball's Doctors Association, the uh, the group of team doctors, has released a study on hamstrings, and I'm wondering if you saw it and what did they find? Yeah, I did see it, and I have not a chance to digest it in in detail because I really want to go through the white, some white papers that are related to that. But I think essentially what, it, what it's saying is that, um, uh, you know, it's one of the top three injuries that's in baseball. Um, most of them range from uh, a grade one, which is the player is out for roughly maximum two weeks, to grade two, which is from two weeks to six weeks, and then above that you get into a grade three, uh, right now, it seems like there's been a slight increase over the past few years, players going from grade one typically to grade two, so it's a little more serious than what it was before. So they're, rather than coming off the DL just after a couple, you know, after a minimum of 15, 17 days on the DL, now players are starting to need 21 to 28 days to be on the DL. So that's, um, that's a concern there, plus, you know, there's a, there's a repeat uh, of about 20% or so, and that's up also. It used to be closer to 10%, so it's becoming more frequent. So that adds to it. So they need to uh, work on that uh, situation. And I think it goes back to the whole strength thing that we just talked about, uh, Patrick, in regards to pitchers, but it's also with uh, pitchers and position players who suffer hamstring injuries. That You know, you get the, you get the muscles so strong with the weightlifting that they do uh, and, and the workouts to the point where the tendons themselves are, are a problem with injuries, or they end up tearing muscle muscle fibers in the body of the hamstring, and it takes a while to come back from that. So it's um, you know it's a guy that does a lot of uh, a friend of mine who does a lot of work with Triple uh, A players. I mean, I'm sorry, college players, and also a few pro players in lower minor leagues. Told me that you know, as a rehab specialist, he said that you know, I wish I could get. Uh, players to be as interested in the amount of stretching that they need to do as they are in, in strength building and getting in the weight room because if that were the case, then we probably could eliminate a good 
not a good portion, but a, you know, a noticeable amount of uh, muscle injuries that we have with baseball players, and I think that's true. You know, players want to get in the in the weight room and get all buffed up and and, and strong, and that's great. But um, uh, the body's not built for some of that, and I think that we're starting to show up with the increase in injuries with uh, hamstrings. Is there something about baseball that makes players more vulnerable to these hammy pulls and strains? Um, well, I think one of the problems is that baseball is a, a game in a lot of ways of stops and starts, where if you're in the outfield, um, you you know, you've got to go from zero to 60, uh, you know, in, in, in no time at all, or in the infield, uh, you may be leaning toward the middle of the hole if you're a shortstop, and then all of a sudden the ball's uh, hit towards second base, and you've got to do that. So that puts extra stress on. Uh, the muscles, whether it's hamstring, quad, or whatever, uh, calf muscles, uh, or on base pass, where where if you're trying to steal a base or run, you got to go immediately and, and you know make your move and start running, and then go from zero to sixty again in that situation. And I think that that's a um, um, that's an issue also. So I think it's um, you know baseball is a great game, and the players I think are in a lot better shape than they were before. But we're still learning that uh, there's injuries out there, and we need to maybe ramp down some of the uh, conditioning work that they do with weights or find a better way to do it to make it more efficient so we don't cause more injuries than we are with them we're having right now. Yeah, the report said more than half of the hamstring injuries occur when the batter leaves the bat- batter's box. Just as you said, he, he, he takes that first step and he's got to get up to top speed really quickly. And no, nothing worse than watching a, a guy running to first and then as he reaches the bag, he maybe stretches for the bag as well, trying to get that last little leap into the bag and he grabs the back of his leg and you go, uh-oh, you can see, you can see that coming. Uh, when do the injuries occur, Rick? Well, they usually, for, you know, I don't know exactly when they occur. I think from what I've seen watching and talking to a couple of people, a couple of people, I haven't seen a study on this, but it either occurs when they come out of the batter's box in two areas. It either occurs within the first two or three steps out of the box where they're trying to get up to maximum speed, and that's put stress on the, the hamstring muscle, and the injury occurs there. Or I think it was recently seen with some players, and I think Jose Batista was one of them, where he's flying down the first baseline, and as they go to step on first base or they get real close to it, maybe they're changing their stride a little bit, and uh, they end up um, uh, suffering the hamstring injury then. So those are the two areas, and um, it, like I said, it's, it's concerning that the increase has happened. And, you know, when you think back, Patrick, when you were watching baseball in the 70s and 80s and 90s, uh, maybe it's missed my memory a little bit, but I don't remember seeing a lot of hamstring injuries, injuries for players running down to first base unless it was some guy like Hectorville on the way they used to catch for the, the Cubs, the big guy that was overweight. He seemed always to have trouble getting down the first baseline, but most players didn't have that trouble, and I think it just goes to uh, body types and what's going on with all the conditioning and lack of flexibility and, and issues like that. And there's a myriad of issues, I think, that are contributing to this, but uh, that's another area that baseball, uh, more so the baseball sports medicine, community needs to find an answer to because the amount of injuries continues to increase and that's not good. I thought it was interesting that the report said that the bulk of hamstring injuries occur in the first month and the last month of the season, and they didn't establish a cause for it, but they they sort of suggested or, or had an opinion that it's because in the early part of the season, players aren't in 100% shape. They haven't run themselves into shape despite training camp uh, because we know training camp, they often don't put a lot of effort into it. And then late in the year, of course, they're getting tired and they, and fatigue leads to injuries as well. Is that also the pattern for other kinds of injuries that you've noticed? I believe it is, but I'll tell you the difficult part with that, Patrick, is that uh, in some regards, we because there's no... Because there's, well, let me change my, my point on this. When it gets to September... Um, because there's very few DL moves made because the roster is expanded, we don't know for sure who is, is really hurt and who is not, and they're just sitting to let some young player do it. So it's hard to, to quantify the injuries late in the season because the DL move, the whole DL system changes once rosters expand. But definitely, I don't think there's any doubt there's proof that in uh, April and maybe even in the first week of May, if the weather's cool up north or, uh, you know, it's been a bad winter or whatever and players didn't do their work in spring training, that we have more injuries 
in the totality over April. But uh, September, yeah, we, I mean, you'll get players that are fatigued that played a lot of games, and they get into September and they start getting the, the pulls. They may be only grade one type injuries where they're out for a week or so. But I think the body starts breaking down after, you know, you get close to 162 games. That's a lot of baseball games, and I think that the body uh, uh, suffers because of that over time. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt, with Rick Wilton, Dr. HQ from BaseballHQ.com. And Rick, let's turn to some individual players, and you can give us their prognoses and a bit of analysis about what's going on with them. First of all, bad news for Shane Victorino. Yeah, Shane Victorino, uh, this is one I'm working on for, uh, uh, for, for the column that gets posted on Saturday. Uh, Victorino went out with a hamstring injury, was in AAA, had a setback with his hamstring, and also was having back issues. And I'm sure baseball HQ uh, and Dr. HQ readers will remember that I, I've talked about the there's a connection in a lot of cases between back injuries and hamstrings because from a, from a physical point of view, they're related uh, in their functions to some extent. Uh, he has a back problem, and the Red Sox, I've kind of said they're not quite sure when he's going to come back, and they didn't rule out the fact that he's out for the season. And based on what I've gathered through uh, a source that's uh, around Pawtucket that I happen to know, that um, uh, he has not looked good down there. And if I had to project, I would say there's probably a 75 or 80% chance that Shane Victorino is done for the year because of what's going on. He's had an epidural on his back, and he's uh, got some issues there. I think he if I had to, if I had to say, he's probably got a herniated disc in his back, and they tried to treat it and get him through to get him back up with the Red Sox because they need a bat. And I think they're probably going to pull the uh, pull the shade on his 2014 season here pretty quick, unless that latest injection really does miracles with his back. Well, speaking of epidural injections, uh, anybody who's had a wife go through labor may be familiar with that. It's a it's a spinal block, really, in the middle of your back. And Evan Gaddis of Atlanta had one because he's got a back injury, and he's on the DL now as, as well. What do you know about Evan Gaddis? Yeah, when his injury first started, we were hearing stories uh, and reports about the fact that it was uh, they thought it was uh, a rhombid muscle injury, which is a rare injury. I can only remember a couple of players that have had that muscle injury. Um, Ben Cheech was one of them that stood out and he had a tough time with trying to recover from that but as it turns out he has a herniated disc in his thoracic region of his back and that's the middle of the back and that's a rare a rare thing for a baseball player and uh, excuse me the area that um, he has the injury uh, to the disc the herniated disc is the same area where uh, the muscles uh, connects to that area where he's had the problem so I think that uh, we found the source of the muscle problem. Um, uh, we've seen a report that he's going to be out at least two weeks. My guess he's going to be out closer to four weeks because he's not going to be doing any throwing for uh, amount of time, and they're going to make sure that the shoulder is strong enough before um, they allow him to get behind the plate, start throwing and swinging a bat and whatever. So I think the Braves probably will be uh, on the cautious side because they need him healthy. And behind the plate, that they'll they'll push it push it out in probably three or four weeks before we see him come back. Rick, I was watching an Angels game a little while ago, and it seemed to me that Albert Pujols was limping, and it was pretty noticeable. And I'm wondering, of course, we know he's had that plantar fasciitis, which is a really nasty condition to have in your feet. Uh, what do you know about Albert Pujols in this whole situation? You know, Patrick, you and I are on the same page because I think we were watching the same game, and I saw him limping too a little bit, and there was. A little bit of a report, I think, uh, kind of from Mike Sosa said you have pools and they was having a little bit of lower leg issues, but they never said it was the plantar fasciitis, but I'm pretty sure that's what was going on. Um, you know, it's a chronic condition, and just to refresh everybody's memory, last year he was going to have surgery, and then he suffered a tear uh, while he was playing and, and doing some workouts, and it tore the the fascia that was in the bottom of his foot, and it happened to relieve the pain and discomfort in the foot, and they worked to get the swelling on. He was doing pretty good, and they said, well, I don't think he needs to have surgery. So he went through the whole offseason, uh, rest in the foot, but still kind of worked out a little bit. And then, you know, came to spring training, and they were cautious with him. And then in April, you know, his OPS was like 934, and he had nine home runs and 22 RBIs, and, and he wasn't back to being the 
the old Albert that we saw before there were some signs there, and I think everybody was encouraged by that, but uh, lest we forget that plantar fasciitis is a chronic condition, and Pools is a big guy. There's a lot of weight that he's carrying around and putting stress on his feet, and as he's declined uh, offensively for the most part um, uh, since the opening of the, um, the season, uh, you one has to wonder if that crept back into the picture as far as uh, impacting on a negative basis, what's going on with, with his production. But he's not the hitter that he was in April, and he's definitely not the hitter he was a couple years ago, and he may never be. Uh, if I had to guess, it's probably a, a good 80 or 90% chance I'll never see close to what he did before. So uh, if I'm a pool owner, I'd be really concerned about that. If over the course of the second half of the season, if you're counting on him to, to put up a, a 25 home run type season, maybe 30, uh, he may not get there because of um, uh, what's going on with his foot, and I think it's something he's just going to have to, to deal with the rest of his career, however long that's going to be. And, of course, just the other day he uh, basically ran into a, a double, into an out. Uh, he slowed down to a crawl on the base pass and was tagged out easily, and there was a lot of people mad at him. And he said after the game that he had a, a swollen gland in his groin, which they think is an infection and, and unrelated. So uh, Albert Pujols, certainly not 100%. I think the plantar fasciitis is going to be a bigger issue for him. Yeah, I do. And he's also had some back and hammy issues this year, too, so... Physically, he's breaking down, and uh, that's going to be a huge concern to fantasy owners, but also, obviously, to the uh, uh, the Angels. Tony Singrani of the Reds was sent down a while ago, and uh, that was bad enough for owners of Tony Singrani, but now he's on the minor league DL, and uh, how does that affect his likelihood of returning to the big leagues this year? Well, one of the problems with Singrani, it's, uh, this is pretty, I won't say pretty common, but it's common with uh, younger pitchers, and players, is once they get to the majors, they don't want to leave, and that's understandable. But if they have an injury, a lot of times they'll hide it or they'll downplay it. And Sandrini already has a reputation of doing that. And now at uh, AAA, he's put on the AAA disabled list um, with a strained shoulder. And uh, uh, knowing how valuable he is to the Reds and the fact that they want to get him healthy, uh, I would suspect that he'll be out for uh, a little while. He may not be back pitching at AAA until... Sometime after the All-Star break, if I had to guess right now, based on the available information. And if that's the case, he may not get called up by the Reds, even if he pitches well, until September, if then, because uh, they're going to protect him. And that's unfortunate, because uh, uh, there's a lot of promise and, and talent there. But it looks like right now he's on the sidelines, and uh, we don't know when he's going to be back. Outfielder Dexter Fowler of Houston has gone on the DL also with back problems. Have you heard anything about his issues? Still waiting to get more information on that, but the concern is that if it uh, uh, if it's a problem where it, it kind of uh, morphs and goes down into the the hamstring and becomes a problem with his hamstrings also because of uh, how they function in, with the back, I think that Fowler um, could see a slight reduction in how much uh, he runs um, uh, the second half of the season. But he, they need to get that straightened out uh, and straightened out pretty quick because. Um, uh, it could have an impact over on the rest of course, over the course of the rest of the season, uh, but let's hope that it's not real, real serious, uh, and that it's something that the medical staff can can pick on, pick up pretty quick. But uh, the other thing that I checked on was I thought maybe that he had a, a history of it, uh, but I went back and looked and couldn't see uh, where he had a history of back problems or a lot of hamstring problems, and because of that, um, I think that that bodes well when you got a player that has a tendency to. To, to, to restrain stuff like we've seen with, with Reyes or whatever, I think that that's uh, a problem. But he, uh, I think he's going to be okay. Julius Chassin of the Rockies was placed on the 15-day DL uh, due to right shoulder inflammation. What's going on there? Yeah, that situation is, um, I, you know, I had a note here, and I was going to find a way to write it up for the, my column this week, was that there, there's been reports out there that he's having trouble getting loose in his pregame uh, throwing before starts, and even when he was throwing between starts a little bit in the bullpen, and sometimes when when uh, the stiffness shows up or there's a problem getting loose, it's a signal that there's a, a physical problem. It may be uh, some inflammation in there, but it may also be something like uh, muscle weakness with one or more of the muscles in the shoulder, and uh, that seems to be the case now when he's on the DL. Uh, they'll treat that, hopefully, 
they'll be able to find um, uh, the exact muscle cause uh, of the problem in the area that's uh, causing the uh, the issues with the stiffness and get that, that fixed in the short term. Uh, I would not be surprised that we don't see him back uh, pitching with the Rockies until right after the All-Star break. They'll make sure they give him uh, enough time to, um, you know, to get healthy. He wasn't pitching that well anyway, Rick. A 5.40 ERA so far this year. He's got, I think, one win in 11 starts, only five quality starts in that period as well. And uh, his skills don't look that great either. Certainly poorer than in years past. Could the shoulder inflammation that finally put him on the DL have been affecting him all year? Yeah, you know, and it's, uh, if we could take just a minute to explain a little bit of the cycle, um, a lot of times what happens when you have the shoulder inflammation there might have been something that was a prelude to that that caused the inflammation. Maybe in a lot of cases, it's muscle weakness, and the muscle weakness may have been caused by the fact that uh, his mechanics were altered. Maybe a change in his pitching motion, or he wasn't doing the exact uh, workouts that he should have as far as strengthening the shoulder and keeping all of his muscles in in balance. Because that's important. If some muscles are stronger than they should be, and others are weaker than they should be. Uh, in a lot of cases, that will cause some sort of problem, whether it's a, an injury or stiffness or tendonitis in the arm because uh, the shoulder, rather, because the body's trying to compensate for the imbalance in the shoulder. And a lot of times when you see a pitcher that you know has the talent and the, uh, the requisite uh, uh, skills that we look at on the side uh, with all the numbers at HQ, uh, I, I think sometimes we need to look and see is there some sort of injury in there and dig for it and, you know, speculate that maybe that's what the issue is. And in his case, I think uh, uh, this may be the answer why he struggled uh, earlier in the season. And if it turns out that it's not something that's too serious, it's fixable, and they can get him right to ship, so to speak, between uh, the All-Star break and the end of July, he might be able to pitch some real good ball in, in August and September because they fixed the problem and it wasn't that serious. That's something... For the owner of him or people that are looking to make a deal late in the season, they might want, to, might want to keep an eye on If he comes back and is pitching well, then that's a good sign that he uh, fixed. They, the medical staff fixed the problem and he's able to pitch effectively and return to a higher form and then be uh, of some value late in the season. He's been a 7 or $8 pitcher three out of the last four years, so I guess it's possible that if he's recovering from some kind of shoulder issue, he might be a value that could be kind of sneaky for uh, for an owner who's willing to take a bit of a chance on Julius Chassin. Uh, the Phillies catcher, Carlos Ruiz, got hit in the head by a thrown ball, a pitch while he was at bat, and got a seven-day DL stint with the concussion protocols. How's Major League Baseball doing with this concussion issue? Yeah, I think Major League Baseball uh, is better than what the NFL's done. I think baseball uh, has done a better job of addressing the issue. And um, I like the seven-day DL stint because that uh, gives the player a chance to know that he's got seven, at least seven days to rest to make sure that he's um, you know, ready and the symptoms are gone and we don't have any post-concussion syndrome. Uh, and the player is able to get back in quicker in some regards because uh, they get that rest. It's almost mandatory. Um, and I, we're still going to have concussion issues, but I think uh, from a position player point of view, uh, they're making strides in that point of view, uh, and I think that's good. It's interesting that Ruiz jumped up after he got hit. He ran down to first. He ran the bases. He stayed in the game and caught three additional innings. A lot of times, you know, we we think that these athletes should by now have figured out that when you have a head injury, you really want to get off the field, and it's really hard to get these guys off the field. Yeah, it is. They don't want to come off the field, but we also got to remember he's a catcher, and sometimes people, um, uh, you know, the old term of tools of ignorance, uh, maybe he's been hit on the head so much that he's just gotten used to it, he just plays through it. But yeah, on a serious, on a serious note, that it's um, uh, sometimes players will play uh, try to play through it and not uh, let people know that what's going on. That's why the uh, the athletic trainers and the team physicians that work with Major League Baseball are some of the best, if not the best, trainers in uh, in sports because they are uh, terrific at, at keeping an eye on their players and trying to keep them healthy and keep them out of dangerous situations. The St. Louis Cardinals had two starting pitchers go on the DL. Let's talk about uh, Jaime Garcia in just a second, but let's start first with Michael Waka. Yeah, Michael Walker has a, has a stress reaction in 
his shoulder in, in the uh, the scapula or shoulder blade. And this is not a real common injury. A stress reaction, by the way, is also known as a uh, a hairline. Uh, I'm sorry, it's one step below a hairline fracture. It's where there's a, a weakness in the bone and left untreated. Uh, it, what will happen is if a player continued to play, it would then become a hairline fracture or a, a full fracture. So fortunately, when they did the testing or a lot of the diagnostic tests revealed that he had the stress reaction, and uh, it is um, good that they caught it. Now he's on the DL. Uh, it, it sounds familiar a little bit for people. It's something that uh, uh, Brandon McCarthy has dealt with off and on in his career, and uh, fortunately for him, it's almost uh, an annual issue where he uh, suffers that, where hopefully with Maka they're able to get it to heal, and it's not something that's going to be a, uh, a chronic situation. But uh, as far as it looks like now, uh, Patrick, I would expect him to be out uh, into the, at least the mid part of August to the latter part of August before he returns. And if he doesn't return until September, the, the Cardinals will like to take the uh, conservative room and shut him down for the whole rest of the season. That would not surprise me either. Um, when it comes to Jaime Garcia, um, uh, the concern is that the problem that he has that landed him on the DL is something that the Cardinals uh, indicate happened or started in 2012. And... Uh, I thought it had been, I think we all thought it was addressed with the surgery, but it uh, appears that it's either reoccurred or uh, surgery was not able to, to take care of it. I assume it's something to do with um, the labrum or in the labral area. And um, uh, it's got him back on the DL. He's got um, some inflammation in the soreness and whatever. And the hope is that uh, they can find a, a solution to this and he doesn't need to have another surgery on his labrum because if that were the case, uh, the track record, of, track record of pitchers being able to rebound from double labral surgery is, is much good, even the ones where they just do a little bit of trimming of the labrum around the outside of the glenoid cavity, which is the outer edge of where the labrum is. And if that's the case, then uh, uh, unfortunately we have a pitcher whose career um, uh, definitely will be on the downturn. I wouldn't be surprised maybe the Cardinals may take a look at uh moving him to the bullpen next year just to see if uh, uh, they get him to pitch and keep him healthy. Uh, but we'll, that will that will depend on what happens with this DL stand. As far as how long he's going to be out, I think still we need to list him as indefinitely because we just don't know exactly what's going on. The Cardinals are usually pretty good uh, being able to give up information, give out information for us, but they haven't been that forthcoming this time, so I'm not quite sure what's going on. And maybe they don't know either yet. They're still working on it, but... Uh, I mean, Garcia owners are going to be really concerned that uh, he's back on the DL, and we don't know if we're going to see him again this season. It looks like St. Louis's rotation is going to be in some trouble here, especially if uh, neither Waka nor Garcia can make it back. And Shelby Miller's got a sore back as well. Uh, Tyler Lyons is down in the minors. He he got knocked around a little bit when he came off the DL in Memphis. Uh, barely got through four innings. Do you think maybe this is going to make people talk a lot more about St. Louis making a deal for David Price? Uh, that could be. I mean, they have the prospects in the system, and they may need to, to get a picture. But boy, I tell you, Patrick, you remember last year during the the uh, you know late in the season and the postseason last year, they were saying, boy, the Cardinals were just were just flooded with pitchers, especially starting pitchers, and the talent to the point where a pitcher like Carlos uh, Gonzalez is that who it is? The guy uh, Rodriguez. I'm sorry, that's in the uh, was in the bullpen and now moves into the rotation. Um, I mean, they they. He had extra pitching, and there's that old baseball adage that you never have too much pitching. I think the Cardinals are, are showing that, and maybe that's why the Red Sox are reluctant to deal any of their pitching because it starts to break down. It's hard to find. But, um, yeah, the Cardinals sure seem like they've got hit by the uh, the injury bug in the pitching department, and uh, it's gone all the way down in, into the minors, and that's too bad because they've got a lot of talented pitchers, and they've been a great source for fantasy owners to be able to get uh, – quality numbers out of most of their pitchers. Uh, Carlos Martinez, I think, is uh, who you're talking about. Martinez, yeah, Carlos Martinez, yeah. 
and he hasn't uh, he hasn't looked that great this year for St. Louis. Uh, if they're in the if they're in the race or think that they're in the race to get back to the playoffs this year, I, I put them at the top of the list for the David Price trade, mostly because, as you say, they've got the prospects that uh, that would uh, attract an uh, interest from Tampa. You could see Oscar Tavares or somebody like that. Uh, Andrew Kashner of San Diego, right hander, went on the DL with right shoulder soreness. Do they deliberately call it that in that vague way? so that we don't understand what's going on, or do they just not know? I think sometimes when they release that, they do it uh, because they have not made a final diagnosis yet, and um, that's part of it. Some teams are also, they like to be vague. They don't want to give you specific information, like the Cardinals do most of the time, and sometimes the Red Sox are pretty good about that, too, um, in releasing information. So uh, in that case, with him, I think I don't think that they had the... Uh, they don't have the exact answer, uh, or it's just something general. They're just trying to treat it because they don't have a specific cause of what's causing it. And um, uh, you know, he's a talented pitcher, but uh, they were hoping for for a better season from him uh, health-wise than he has right now. I don't think it's real serious. The Padres believe that he'll uh, be out only a minimum of 15, 17 days in that range. And uh, you know, if he get, if he's available for activation. Patrick, right around the 4th or 5th of July, because they're so far out of it uh, in the race, I think they may be a little bit on the conservative side, give them a little more time, and maybe tell them to sit out the break, and they'll start the first or second game right after the break. So if he owns cash now, I would not be ready right now for sure that he'll be back. Let's wait and see what um, uh, they decide to do with him and uh, how they're going to pitch in the second half of the season. And finally, Rick, uh, Toronto third baseman, second baseman sometimes, Brett Laurie. Uh, well, this is Canada Day after all. We'll talk about a Canadian guy to close this segment. And uh, he's on the DL. He got hit in the hand, and not for the first time this year. I watch a fair amount of Blue Jays games, and he gets hit a lot up around the hands and wrists. And now he's got a broken right index finger. How long does that take before he can be a productive batter? Well, every player, every player is um, uh, different when it comes to that. But usually ballpark, it's usually three to four weeks. The key is when they send him out for the x-ray uh, or they do a CT scan or something like that, they will, um, once they feel like the fracture has healed, uh, the next decision is can he grip the bat? And in this case, it's the right hand, so it's also his throwing hand. Can he throw the ball without any uh, noticeable difficulty? And also, but more importantly, can he uh, uh, swing the bat with enough strengthen the grip so that he can be a productive hitter. And once it gets to that point, he doesn't fatigue or have uh, major discomfort, and that's the point that they can activate him. And well, Lowry's a pretty tough guy, and I would think that we'll see him back definitely before four weeks. And if it turns out to be about 21 days, 24 days, uh, that would not surprise me at all. Yeah, Canadian guys are tough. Uh, certainly, that's why you never see them in the World Cup. It must be they just can't stomach the idea of uh, throwing themselves on the ground <laughs> like you have to. Uh, Rick, uh, that's right. <laughs> before we let you go, uh, tell us where listeners can catch up with you. How often do you post to Baseball HQ, anywhere else, uh, Twitter, that kind of thing? Yeah, the, the Baseball HQ, uh, Dr. HQ column is up on, uh, uh, up on Saturdays. Uh, Brent does a great job editing my work. Uh, and they get it up early on Saturdays. I started uh, getting it over to people late Thursday. So sometimes there's a little bit of a, a lag time there between it's edited and whatever. And I try when I can, when there's a noticeable injury, to get in to the comments section and, and drop in any new injuries that happen between the time I uh, produce it and the time it gets posted. And uh, also, for those who are interested, we're having the 20th annual uh, first pitch form in Arizona that that I started back in 1994 when Michael Jordan was playing there. And uh, I'm really looking forward to that this year, and I hope uh, all Baseball HQ uh, uh, readers and listeners of the HQ radio show will find a way to go there because it's going to be a, a terrific program this year. It's a great uh, great time to go to Arizona and uh, see some prospects and uh, get a chance to talk to all the, the experts that are in the business and kind of mingle with them at the ballpark or – uh, you know, around the conference rooms or after sessions and get all your questions answered. And it's, uh, to me, outside of draft day, uh, it's probably my, my favorite time of the year. And uh, I hope to see a lot of the HQ people there this year. And, uh, Rick, when is first pitch Arizona this year in case people are making plans? 
Yeah, first pitch Arizona is the first weekend in November the 31st, I believe. I should remember this because that's my birthday. I believe it's on Friday, so it's the 31st, 1st, and 2nd. I could be wrong, but I, I don't have the exact date in front of me right now, but it's um, it's the first weekend in, in November, and it's time for me to make my travel arrangements so that I don't get shut out and being able to get there. But uh, go to the HQ site. Uh, there's a lot of information up there. Now and I know the guys are working real hard to get the, the program finished and get it up and, and posted here so people can see what's going on and whatever. It is October 31st to November 2nd. It'll actually start Thursday, October 30th. It, there's a little uh, get-together on the Thursday night before that happens. And and uh, it, it's it's so much fun. It's so interesting to go to. I'm hoping to get there again sometime in the future. I teach now in the fall, so it's pretty tough to get away. But it's a, it's a terrific event, Rick, and I really appreciate that you set it up and have worked on it over these many years. And I also really appreciate that you came on today. Thanks very much. We'll catch up with you again soon. Okay, thanks, Patrick. Good talking to you. Take care. Rick Wilton, Dr. HQ, is BaseballHQ.com's injury expert. As you heard, he publishes his column on Saturdays. Next up, our HQ commentaries, the Metric Minute and Minor League Minute are coming up on Baseball HQ Radio. Playing fantasy baseball is about having fun. So have more fun more often with one-month fantasy games at ChandlerPark.com. One-month games offer the best of both worlds, the fast action and excitement of daily games with the strategy and tactics of full-season formats. You draft your team using set salaries, all based on player performance. Then you set your roster twice a week, playing matchups and hot hands. Best of all, one bad month doesn't sink your whole season. And a fast start puts you in the money that much quicker. More fantasy fun, more often, with one month fantasy games at ChandlerPark.com. This is Ron Chandler, monthly fantasy baseball. More drafts, more pennant races, more fantasy fun, more often. Give it a try. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Happy Canada Day. Be sure to check BaseballHQ.com right now and in the days to come for these features. Greg Pyron looks at mid-season Lima replacements in the Batting Buyer's Guide. Stephen Nickrand looks at mid-season sell-high prospects in his Starting Pitcher Buyer's Guide. And the Playing Time Tomorrow column covering the American League Central Division looks at the closer committee on the south side of Chicago. Also, there's the regular analysis of playing time today, facts and flukes, performance validation, our buyer's guides, other divisional outlooks in playing time tomorrow, and much more. Add it all up. It's fantasy intelligence for winners, and it's only at BaseballHQ.com. Now let's turn to our trivia question. Uh, did you get any of these names? One Canadian Rookie of the Year was in 2004 in the National League. It was Jason Bay who had a pretty nice little career. Three MVP winners, Larry Walker in 1997 in the National League, Justin Morneau, 2006 American League MVP, and Joey Votto, who was the unanimous MVP in the National League in 2010. And two Cy Young Awards to Canadians, Eric Gagné in 2003 in the National League for the Dodgers, and in 1971 in the National League, Ferguson Jenkins of the Cubs, also the only Canadian ever to make it to the Baseball Hall of Fame. He's also a member of the Order of Canada, the highest civilian award that the nation offers. You know, Fergie Jenkins is one of three pitchers in baseball history with at least 3,000 strikeouts and less than 1,000 walks, joining Greg Maddox, Kurt Schilling, and Pedro Martinez. And here's a little trivia question within our trivia answer. What did Ferguson Jenkins do in the late 60s to keep himself in shape during the offseason? Here's a little clue for you. Yes, from 1967 through 1969, Ferguson Jenkins was a member of the Harlem Globetrotters, an all-around athlete, and happy Canada Day to everybody. Now it's time for our Baseball HQ commentaries. We have Baseball HQ Minor Leagues Analyst Rob Gordon on deck with the Minor League Minute, and leading off, it's the Metric Minute, and here to tell us about the statistically scouted speed metric for offensive players, Analyst Ryan Bloomfield. Statistically scouted speed. It's a skills-based gauge that measures speed of a player without relying on stolen bases. Uh, it takes into account a player's height, weight, age, soft and medium ground ball hits, ability to hit triples, among other factors, to estimate speed in one number. Uh, the speed score is located on player link pages on BaseballHQ.com with the abbreviation of SPD. 
Uh, to keep things simple, statistically scouted speed is factored to a league average of 100. Okay, so 100 correlates with league average speed. Guys with elite speed are usually above 150, while the Billy Butlers of the world and myself are around 70 or below speed. Speed obviously correlates very well with stolen bases, but since it doesn't use steals in its formula, it's a good way to measure how fast a player really is, uh, regardless of that stolen base total. So the highest speed scores in baseball uh, right now through late June belong to James Jones of Seattle and D. Gordon out in L.A. Both players have speed scores in the 180s, which is, which is pretty elite. Jones has 14 steals so far this season, so he should be well on his way to even more in the second half if he can run more and get on base. Uh, D. Gordon obviously leads the league in steals, has 40 steals, and his 185 speed score indicates that should continue. Uh, there are a number of players with very high speed scores that have potential for more steals. Uh, the following players have speed scores above 150, yet they only have single-digit steals so far in 2014. These guys are Michael Bourne, Peter, Bur Peter Borjos, Adam Eaton, Cameron Mabin, Rugnet Odour, Chris Owings, Andrelton Simmons. Now, the big reason for lower steal total for a lot of these guys is either their inability to get on base or a red light on the base pass. Uh, for instance, Andrelton Simmons, despite his elite speed, has only attempted four steals all season. So these are the guys with the skills to post more steals down the stretch, especially if you can dig a little bit deeper to see if their on-base percentage could go up or if they might be running a bit more often in the second half. So for those of you in need of steals, be sure to check out Statistically Scouted Speed uh, to get a gauge on who might be surging down the stretch. You may be able to, to uncover some under-the-radar steals on the cheap. So for Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ryan Bloomfield with BaseballHQ.com. Analyst Ryan Bloomfield writes regularly for Baseball HQ and talks about various site metrics and how to apply them every Tuesday here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now it's time for the Minor League Minute, and with a look at Cubs catching prospect Kyle Schwarber, here's BaseballHQ.com Minor Leagues Analyst Rob Gordon. 21-year-old Kyle Schwarber was the fourth overall pick in the 2014 draft and is off to a blistering start as a professional. Schwarber went 12 for 20 for short season Boise, earning him a quick promotion to low A King County in the Midwest League. Between the two stops, Schwarber is now hitting 481 with 8 home runs, a slugging percentage over 1,000, and 19 RBIs in just 15 games. He's also showing solid plate discipline with 8 walks and 9 strikeouts and 54 at bats. While the sample size is admittedly very small, the Cubs have to be thrilled with the results so far, especially after being roundly criticized for taking Schwarber too early in the draft. Coming into the draft, the consensus in the scouting community was that Schwarber had one of the better bats in the country, but it had only average power and was unlikely to stick behind the plate. His quick start at the plate, and especially the early power, suggests that we might need to rethink his offensive potential. But it is worth noting that Schwarber has already been moved to the outfield. At 6 feet 240, Schwarber is more athletic than he looks and has a strong and accurate throwing arm, but he's a below average runner and will need to work very hard to even become an average outfielder. Still, the Cubs have done a very good job accumulating a critical mass of offensive potential that should revitalize the organization in the next two to three years. As a result, Kyle Schwarber makes an excellent fantasy target for those in NL-only keeper formats. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ minor league analyst Rob Gordon. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues all season long. Rob Gordon, Jeremy Deloney, Colby Garapi, Chris Maloney, Nick Richards, Matthew Saint-Germain, and Brent Hershey have reports and updates on top prospects, organizational moves, daily call-ups, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. This week, BaseballHQ.com call-up reports have looked at Seattle right-hander super prospect Taiwan Walker, Kansas City infielder Christian Colon, Atlanta catcher Christian Betancourt, and more. And you also want to check our minor league watch list, highlighting less heralded prospects who have a clear path to the majors. Looking this week at Arizona shortstop Nick Ahmed, Chicago Cubs second baseman Arizmendi Alcantara, Houston second baseman Enrique Hernandez, and many more. If you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your leagues, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. And that's Baseball HQ Radio, the Tuesday tout edition for July the 1st, Canada Day. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 47 
of the 2014 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our featured guest expert on this Tuesday Tout Edition, Dr. HQ, BaseballHQ.com, Injuries Analyst Rick Wilton. I always love talking to Rick, and of course, injuries are such an important part of real baseball and fantasy baseball, so I always look forward to his wisdom. I also want to thank our other commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Analyst Ryan Bloomfield was our metric minute commentator, and Baseball HQ minor leagues analyst Rob Gordon had the minor league minute. I'm Patrick Davitt. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. Also, check out Baseball HQ on Facebook and our Twitter feed at Baseball HQ. You can also feel free to follow my personal Twitter account at Patrick Davitt. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again Friday with our News and Notes show featuring League Watch News reports, Todd Zola, pitcher matchups, and master notes. And next Tuesday, it'll be our roundtable special with BaseballHQ.com experts giving their picks for the Mid-Season Fantasy Awards. That's coming up on another edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.